back to early departures. Whoa, whoa. We were just talking about how we have been now doing this for more than six months because episode 26 was our six months mark, which is way longer than I think either one of us thought we would be here. Yeah. So everyone who's listening, thank you. Yeah. We're going to keep on, we're going to keep on trucking with this. Yeah. Anyway, we're back with uh, all kinds of more scary travel related stories for you since you can't go anywhere. Might as well make yourself feel good about it. Yeah. I actually went into my attic, speaking of packing and unpacking, and walked by my suitcase, and I was like, oh, Aww. you poor thing. You'll probably not leave this attic for a long time. I know. It's, it's very sad. All right. Don't bum me out too much. Just, you know, bum me out with some, you know, murders, accidents, bad general things. Don't bum me out by reminding me that I can't go anywhere. Okay. That's fair. I'm I'm back on the murder, murder, murder kick. All right. Me too. Yeah, I'm excited for part two this week. Yeah. Like, I got to step up my game. You're throwing two-parters at me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We are going... Actually, I'm not going to tell you where we're going yet. Ooh. So this story starts in 2017. Okay. With Lucas Fowler, an Australian who loved the outdoors and had a passion for traveling. Okay. He was around 21, 22 when he embarked on a two-year backpacking trip around the world. During his travels, he made his way to Croatia, where he met China Dees. Nice. China Dees was an American who was working abroad in a hostel in Croatia when her and Lucas crossed paths. The pair quickly bonded over their love of travel, and from what I can tell in the articles I read, the couple quickly fell in love and wove their lives together. Oh, You know, they quickly fell in love. Uh-huh. They traveled to other countries together before Lucas and China returned to the States to live with her family in North Carolina. Hmm. The couple lived together for three months in late 2018, early 2019. Okay. They were described as full happiness and joy and just truly loved being with each other. Aww. And... In their photos, they're like a super cute couple. Yeah. She's kind of like on the petite side. He's like tall. I want to say he's like 6'2", 6'3". So he's tall. She's petite. Both have blonde hair. They're cute. Mm -hmm. In early 2019, Lucas was headed to work on a ranch in a remote part of British Columbia. At the ranch during his downtime, he would often be found spending hours on the phone with China. In July 2019, China joined Lucas in British Columbia for a three-week road trip across Western Canada. Nice. Lucas had fixed up an old 1986 Chevy van for them to use as a camper van for their trip. Mm-hmm. On July 14, 2019, about 12 miles south of Liard Hot Springs on the Alaskan Highway, the couple's van broke down. Ugh. Curtis Broughton and his family, who were on their way home from a camping trip, spotted the couple and stopped to help. After a brief chat and a look under the hood, the couple reassured Curtis that they were okay and they're going to have lunch alongside the road while they're waiting for the engine to unflood. Mm-hmm. Curtis, as a mechanic himself, felt the couple had everything under control and went on his way. Hmm. 36 hours later, China and Lucas's body are found in a ditch near the van, shot to death. Oh my god, that's not where I thought I was going. No. Jeez. The news of their deaths completely shocked their families. In an interview with the Charlotte Observer, China's father said it took authorities three days to identify the bodies, which suggests to him the deaths were violent. Yeah. Lucas's father, who was a chief inspector with the New Wales Police Force in Australia, flew to Canada to be closer to the investigation. Mm. I didn't write it in here, but he said something to the effect of like, being a police officer would never have, I would ne- I never prepare me for dealing with a situation in my yeah. own life. Ugh. I'm sure. Shortly into the investigation, a road worker said she saw a bearded man arguing with a couple on the side of the road. Mm. She told a local Australian news outlet the couple looked bothered by the man and the interaction made her uneasy. Ugh, I don't like that. I know. Police released a sketch of the man stating he is not a suspect, but they'd like to just speak with him. Mm. So this was on or around about July 14th, July, July 15th. Uh-huh. On July 19th, an abandoned burning pickup truck is found near Dees Lake, British Columbia. And this burning truck led police to an unidentified body nearby. Mm. We now have a third life cut short on the side of a remote Canadian highway. And to give you just about scale between where the couple were and this burning pickup truck and this new body, 
It's about 265 miles away. Okay. The third body was identified as Leonard Dick, a 64-year-old botany lecturer at the University of British Columbia who lived in Vancouver. Huh. He was an avid camper and was believed to be on a solo camping trip when his body was found. Mm. That led to a public plea by police to be on the lookout for the drivers of the burning vehicle, two teenagers from Vancouver Island. The teens, 18- and 19-year-old Cam McLeod and Briar Schmelzky, were believed to have been traveling to Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory to look for work Mm. and may have been without cell phone service. And they are now believed to be missing and dangerous from this mysterious serial killer. Mm. So they found the truck burning, Mm -hmm. and they found this professor shot to death. They just said that they found his dead body. Oh, dead body. Okay. No, the, the other ones were shot to death. Yeah, so the couple, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. about four days later, uh-huh. they find the burning vehicle, and they find Leonard's body. The burning vehicle belongs to these two teenagers who they have not accounted for. Right, okay. So okay. right now, they're believed to be missing. Okay. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police acknowledged they had two major investigations underway in, their, in northern British Columbia, hmm. and they asked travelers and campers in the area to be aware of their surroundings and remain vigilant where their safety was concerned. Ooh, if I was camping and I heard that, I would be so worried. And these areas that both of these incidents happened in were extremely remote. Yeah. And one of the communities they talked to, I believe around Dee's Lake, said it's very common for you to go miles and miles of stretches yeah. down the highway with no cell service. Like, Oof. it's it's a thing here for everyone who lives here as well. Yeah. In one of the interviews the woman mentioned, she drives six hours to take her child to the doctor. So, wow, very remote and you know, Upper Canada. Yeah. As investigators had both cases on their hands, they announced on July 23rd, about nine days after Lucas and China were killed, that the two teenagers from Vancouver Island were now the suspects of the killings of Lucas, China, and Leonard. Wow. Both teens were described by family members as introverted loners and gamers. Oh, man. Fellow gamers online who knew Briar Schmelzky said he had shared photos of Nazi symbols, and a neighbor said their son had stopped hanging out with him when Briars had made comments about what if the video games were real, and this made him uncomfortable. There's some more details about the boys and their lives and kind of what we talked about earlier. I don't even want to, like, get into it because they're just... Yeah. Sounds like mentally ill confused teenagers which is like bad all around yeah and briar's father was very vocal through interviews as this is all unfolding because this goes on for like four to at this point you know we're at about nine days yeah you know so we're we're roughly just under two weeks and um you can see in the interviews his dad struggling with the concept that his son may have done something evil yeah it's awful And he talks about how he's worried about his son just as these other people have worried about their family members. Yeah. So the boys are now suspects. And Uh it has been discovered that the teens had burned their own truck that was Mm. found on the side of the road by Dee's Lake and then stealing Leonard's Toyota RAV4. Can you imagine, like, you're relieved because, oh... Your teenage son is has not been horribly murdered, but then you realize that your teenage son is murdering people. Mm-hmm. I wonder how long it was before they found the truck and realized who it belonged to and then decided that was the suspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, it's it's kind of messy because they they find out things after they've happened as... Yeah. You know, like they found the couple, but it wasn't till. All that. So dates are kind of of messy. Yeah. So I give ballparks. Well, I mean, it would take a while to figure out anyway that they weren't taken from their truck and then their truck just burned. Yeah. And I believe there was a sighting of them. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of triggered that they hadn't been taken. Yeah. So it was discovered that the teens had burned their own truck on the side of the road, stealing Leonard's Toyota RAV4. Uh Uh-huh. They were believed to be headed east. They were last seen in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, a day before the Toyota RAV4 was found burned in the Gillum area of Manitoba the next day. Hmm. It was once they found the burned RAV4, they're like, oh, wait, something's up here. Yeah. This is his vehicle. Right. Again, to give you the scale of distance these teens are covering, Meadow Lake is about 24 to 26 hours from Dee's Lake, and then Meadow Lake to Gillum in Manitoba, where the Toyota RAV4 was found burned, Mm -hmm. is another 14 to 15 hours. Okay, okay. So now, again, these boys have made it all the way to Manitoba. 
At one point, the teens were stopped by local authorities at an alcohol checkpoint as they entered a dry county, huh. and they were let through because local officials were not aware of their crimes at the time. Wow. So again, how like the finding of evidence yeah. and piecing this puzzle together is kind of happening. Mm-hmm. At this point, officials are searching in Gillum, a quite remote area. They have armored vehicles, SWAT teams, drones, and canine units desperately trying to find these teens. Mm. This manhunt is considered to be one of the biggest manhunts in Canada's history. Wow. So at this point, we're approaching August. So it's been about three weeks. Yeah. Days go on as the pairs hunted in the bush of Manitoba. On August 2nd, the search is extended to the water as authorities find a damaged boat that the pair may have been using to evade capture. Hmm. They They also find items along the shoreline that were directly linked to them. This allowed the officers to narrow in their search efforts. On August 7th, the body of the two teens were found near the Nelson River with self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Oh, wow. Some details of the investigation into the three deaths were released to the public in this last September 2019 revealing that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police had discovered six videos recording on a digital camera that was found near their bodies. Hmm. While none of the videos contain information about a motive, the Mounties described the teens as cold and said they lacked any remorse. So a lot of what happens, I feel like, in between them getting to Manitoba and the search is when you watch the news articles and read it, it's like following step by step, like, oh, we're searching Uh this area, we're searching this. So I kind of cut all that out for time. And then there's a lot of interviews with Breyer's father Mm -hmm. about how he's feeling watching this manhunt unfold. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate. Um, When he finds out the boys made it through that checkpoint, he says, kudos to you, kudos to you, and kind of like is excited for them, which is like heartbreaking. But I think he says it in a way of like, oh, my boy has another day to live because another point he mentions that like he knows his son at this point must be on a suicide mission and he's going to go out in a blaze. Yeah. In one of the interviews, he kind of says to his son he loves him, and he says, like, my son will probably be dead tomorrow. Like, I know this is how this is going to end. Ugh. Very heartbreaking. Yeah. But I don't want to make it about his story. Yeah. So there's a lot more detail. Like I said, there's a lot more details about it. It's very widely documented across Canada and Australia. You can watch plenty of the TV interviews, look up for extra details. But like I just wanted, like I said, make sure I went out of this closing on these amazing people who lost their lives for clearly no reason at all besides senseless violence. Yeah. So in the aftermath of China's death, her mother was befriended by a Canadian truck driver who had lost his daughter when she was younger. Hmm. He put up a memorial on along the side of the road where China and Lucas's bodies were found. He put a flag from both their home countries and a floral cross. Over the year, he traded phone calls and emails with China's mother and it continued to build up the memorial into a white lean-to. Hmm. Now others have stopped along the road and left crosses, notes, and flowers for the memorial. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Lucas's father, Stephen Fowler, told reporters, it's a love story that's ended tragically. It's the worst ever love story. We have two young people who had everything ahead of them who have been murdered. Oh, yeah. Leonard's family was devastated by his loss. They said he would never have wanted to die this way. He often avoided camping and hiking in the United States because he didn't believe in their gun laws. Mm. He was a beloved father, a trusted teacher, and a scholar who loved sharing his enthusiasm and curiosity for the natural world. If there was anything positive come of Leonard's death, his sister said that it would have to be that in learning he had died, people from all walks of life had been eager to share stories of their professor, their mentor, and their friend. Hmm. There's so much sorrow, but there's joy in the fact that he impacted so many people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, this one made me super sad. Yeah, it's a real bummer. It's like, especially... I don't know what it is, but something about the professor, like, that he was going out to, like, solo camp in the wilderness. And I'm like, he was just trying to mind his own business and go be with nature. And some shitty little teenagers ruined his life. Yeah, and I feel awful for the young, for the couple. I mean, they're truly living their best lives, traveling the world and Mm -hmm. working and just... Yeah. Some comments are made about from their family, like, we... We knew they would get married. They had already talked about wanting to have kids and yeah. first raise them in Australia and then, you know, go somewhere else. And it I just- mean, they found each other on like a whole different continent of either of theirs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's awful that these people who were positively touching other people's lives, yeah. are, were, lives are just cut short for what seems to be no 
no reason. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and uh, the reason is unaddressed mental health issues. And it sucks. I, I don't know anything more than what you've told me about this. But it sucks that that one kid told the other friend, you know, what if video games are real? And then that kid just stopped hanging out with him. And, you know, preferably that kid would have stopped hanging out with him and his parents would have known why and his parents would have, you know, told the other kid and the the kid's school and, you know, anyone who would listen, like this kid probably has uh, emotional problems. Yes, and I should say his father, his parents got divorced when he was five. His mm-hmm. dad had struggled with homelessness. He lived with his grandmother. So he definitely came from yeah. um, Every, a family life, life that perfect. struggled. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I do think in some of the interviews with his dad, his dad is like, I didn't give him the best childhood and maybe that could have stopped yeah. this. You know, and he does say he's yeah. like, I lost I mean, a child you know- too. But. Yeah, and and either way, I mean, it's like a parent can do all they can do, but it's like so often, you know, we hear stories about like, you know, especially young people, teenagers, young adults doing crazy stuff. And it's like you hear about people in their lives who knew there was something wrong with them, who like had a feeling something was wrong with them or that they needed some kind of help <laughs> from some kind of professional. And, you know, of course, they wouldn't want the help themselves, but, you know, nobody ever does when they need it. And it's just, it's sad. It's so sad to me that, like, that so many people had to lose their lives when somebody clearly, like, this this guy totally, and his friend, whoever, you know, they were two together, they found each other instead of finding help, you know? And that sucks. That sucks for everybody who had to die because of it. Yeah. Oh, how how old were they? Uh, eight, the teenagers, eighteen and nineteen, and I believe. Yeah. I believe the one boy Cam, his birthday passed either like right before they killed themselves or right after. Mm-hmm. But eighteen, you're still a baby. Yeah. You're a baby. You don't know. Like you don't even know life yet. I also just like I hate the senselessness of it. Like, yeah. What did these? What did these three individuals yeah, do to them? They like, did if you were to mad you. at your dad for your childhood or or yeah. your grandmother or your people in your community for we're just mad at the world, like take it out, like yeah. I don't know. I, that's I, I don't want to say take it out on your dad, but like yeah. But I think that is the thing that makes me like the most upset is when when totally completely innocent people have stuff taken out on them by others because you know what everybody has their own struggles. Yeah, and to think that you would be. Spending your life dealing with your own struggles, trying to get through them, trying to be happy yourself, and then somebody else sees you being happy and goes, oh, well, F that (laughs) a-hole, and, like, takes you out, you know? And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. we're all just just struggling to do our best and to be as happy as we can be, you know, especially in the age of corona. (laughs) So if you're a depressed person (laughs) and you're looking at other people and you're so pissed that they're happy, just know that a lot of people are just putting a happy face on. It's just, you know, something's a snack. You don't have to murder them because they're happy. Yeah. It got real dark real quick. <laughs> it did. I mean, it's it's a bummer. God. I just like... It is. I don't know. I can just see us easily like on a road trip. Yeah. And what? Some guy just... Two men just come up and just yeah. shoot us? Because we look like we're it's having awful. a great time and we're happy. And What if we're not even having a great time and they do it? I mean... <laughs> And we're like, oh, my God, these mosquitoes. <laughs> and I forgot to bring our sandwiches. <laughs> I'm starving. I know. We could have just been coming out of a rest stop bathroom. There was no we just soap. Both destroyed the toilets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't know. It's just sad. Yeah. Why do people got to be mean to each other? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too, is that that couple, their car was already broken down. So it's not even like they're having the best time of their life. They've already had a bad day. And then these two teenagers were like, oh, I'm going to make it worse, you know? Yeah. I wonder if the um, Royal Mounted Canadian Police will ever release any of the videos. You know, like, I wonder if there truly is no motive or that's just what they've said because it's, yeah. I mean, still an ongoing investigation. This only happened a year ago. You know, most investigations yeah. actually take quite a bit of time, especially when it covers, what, like, three or four provinces? And they're huge. Yeah. 
I'm sure that's a lot of collaboration that has to happen. Yeah. And there's a lot of different people involved also between the victims and the um, perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to be sad now. And I want you to tell me about part two in Trinidad. Am I going to be sad? I wish it was going to pick up your spirits, but I can't promise that. It would be a little bit weird if I could. It's an episode of serial killers. Yeah. Wait, how many people do you have to kill to be a serial killer? I just, I think you just have to kill more. I think you have to kill more than two separate times. So not more than two people, but more than two separate incidences. Three or more people. Okay. A serial killer is typically a person who murders three or more people with the murders taking place over more than a month and including a significant t- period of time between them. Okay. There you go. That's the Wikipedia definition. Okay. Uh, so, last week I told you about Peter and Miriam's narrow escape from what some people call the Tobagonian Ripper, a serial killer who targets elderly expats on the idyllic island. Today, I'm going to tell you the rest of that story. So, about eight miles away from Peter and Miriam's house, only about ten months earlier, there have been a very similar incident. Swedish national Ake Olsen, who was 73, was a regular visitor to Tobago, coming and going from his native Sweden since around 1998. In 2004, he went ahead and bought a vacation home in an area of Tobago called Bon Accord. In December 2007, unfortunately, that home was robbed. So we're up to December 2007 now. But less than a year later, on October 9th, 2008, Ake and his partner Anna Sunsval, who was 62, were at home when, at around 10 p.m., neighbors heard screaming and called the police. When police arrived, they found Ake and Anna covered in chop wounds. Anna was dead, and Ake was not far behind her, succumbing to his injuries later in the hospital. Oh, no. Yeah, so we're just jumping right in real early <laughs> on this story. And how this was just a couple months after the house had been broken into? Yeah, so it was the, the house was uh, broken into December 2007, and then October 2008, so almost a year later, just a couple couple months short. Okay. Um, But, you know, I mean, Jesus, I... <sighs> I've never had my house broken into before. Thank God. Uh, I feel like if I had my house broken into, I would have to pack up and move because uh, forever unclean and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, they stuck around and they ended up dying. <laughs> it's not their fault. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know. <laughs> I was just like, wait, let me clarify. Yeah, <laughs> not saying they'd be okay if they left, but you know, maybe. Um Anyway, an empty vault was found in one of the bedrooms, so it was believed that this was a robbery-turned-murder. A machete and a pair of boots, which are believed to belong to the killer, were found in a mangrove area near the Olsen's house. A 32-year-old man was arrested the next morning, and a 28-year-old man was arrested in the afternoon. Both were questioned in connection with the murders. Ten months later, Peter and Miriam Green were almost killed in a similar fashion. Were the two men that were arrested, the one in the morning and the one in the afternoon, were they connected in any way? Well, you know, nothing Nothing I read, like, said that, but, I mean, I think probably <laughs> there's probably okay. some, some sort of connection that made them believe that both of them were involved. Okay, that's. I guess that's what I mean. Like, they believe that they would have committed this crime together. Yes. Okay. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, we have two suspects, mm-hmm. let's ask... Guy A, guy B, yeah. we'll figure it out. No, we think these two did it together. That's kind of what I meant. Sorry. Right. Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Another Peter, Peter Tot, who was 56, a German engineer, visited Tobago frequently beginning around the year 2000. In 2004, he bought a vacation home in Bacolet Crescent. If Bacolet Crescent sounds familiar, it should. Peter Tot bought the house 10 doors down from Peter and Miriam. <laughs> So they were neighbors. Oh, gosh. It seems like Peter was going through some stuff. According to his friends, he was estranged from his wife, not financially stable, and at some point he was threatened by the ex-wife of one of his friends on the island, apparently prompting him to leave Tobago. It sounds like he wanted to return to Germany and reconcile with his wife and sort of just rebuild his life there. Okay, so his intentions to leave were, like, a long period of time. Not like, I'm just going to go get away for a week. Like, uh, I'm done with Tobago. 
Yeah, he's like, I'm going to leave. I'm moving out. And to that point, he returned to Tobago sometime in July 2009 to put his house on the market and get it ready to sell. On October 31st, Peter's friends were unable to get a hold of him and called the police. When police arrived at his home to look for him, they found three local men who appeared to be living in his house. Oh, shit. Those men told... (laughs) Yeah. Those men told the police that Peter had sold the house to them and had just returned to Germany. Mm, That seems probably (laughs) slightly fishy. A little suspicious. Yeah, a little suspicious. It kind of... For anybody who uh, you know watches The Simpsons, this totally re- just makes me think of like the police department on The Simpsons because those police were like, "Oh, okay," and then they like go back to their police department and go, "Hey, wait a minute," and they go back to Peter's house and search the grounds. And around four thirty p.m. on November first. They find Peter buried in a shallow grave in his own backyard. What? (laughs) Yeah. His mouth was gagged and his hands and feet were bound. His autopsy showed that he had died of asphyxiation due to blunt force trauma. Five people were arrested and questioned, including a 13-year-old. Were they all living in the house? I would have to assume... You know, they found three people living in the house. I have to assume that the other two people had to be connected in some way. Like, you know, maybe they found three people living in the house. And when they went back, there were like five people hanging out. I don't know. But in any event, it's definitely not good. I mean, I'm I'm jumping ahead here. But like, what a plan. Like, take over this guy's house that's for sale. Yeah. When he comes back, kill him, bury him in his own backyard, and then pretend mm-hmm. nothing happened. Yeah. Oh, no. He sold it to us. He went back to Germany. That's what he told everybody he was going to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but after Peter's murder, the tourism secretary of the Tobago House of Assembly told local media that they were there were now plans to install cameras in crime hotspots around Tobago, which is kind of like... Uh, the incidents weren't happening at crime spots. They were happening in expensive and, like, allegedly secure vacation home-type areas. Yeah, they're happening in people's houses. Yeah, so I don't really know what the the plan to put cameras in crime hotspots was. You think the plan would be to, like, establish more foot patrol and more drive-throughs of the communities by law enforcement. Yeah. Also in the Bacolet area, like Peter Tott and Peter and Miriam Green, were German couple Hubertus and Brigitte Kyle, age 74 and 71, respectively. They had been visitors since around 1999 and at some point purchased a vacation home and became regulars on the island. Flash forward to October 25th, 2014, the couple arrives in Tobago, settling in for the winter with plans to leave in March. So, basically my dream, stay somewhere warm from October to March. I totally dig that. Yep. I could probably copy and paste Peter and Miriam's description of their average day in Tobago from my last episode about this, and I'm sure it would be very similar to what Hubertus and Brigitte were up to every day. Just hanging out, being warm, and loving their retired life in paradise, you know? Yeah, I gotta get on this whole life planning for a retirement home in someplace tropical. Right? Well, and someplace where there's not a serial killer, though. That's fair. That's fair. Unless you're into that kind of thing. I don't I don't know what your life goals are for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's definitely not to be chased by a serial killer. I assure you of that. But I'm sure they don't put that on like the Berkshire Hathaway website of real estate. Like no. join our community. Four have been killed in the last three years. <laughs> anyway. About a month later, at around 11 a.m. on November 22nd, the couple's gardener arrived at their home and couldn't find them. Poor gardener. I know where the track record where this is going. Like, poor guy. He's about to walk into something horrific. Yeah. I know. I feel like gardeners have their own special PTSD of what they run into. Ooh, you're so right. Yeah. The gardener thought that maybe they had just gone for a walk on the beach because if you remember from Peter and Miriam's story, the beach is just a few feet away from the residence. Uh, The gardener finds Brigitte at the beach. Unfortunately, she's dead. (gasps) Of course she is. The gardener calls the police 
who then find the body of Hubertus about 400 feet away from where Brigitte was found. There were multiple chop wounds on their necks and backs, which is awful, and Hubertus had what appeared to be defensive wounds on his hands. So chop wounds, again, like you'd get from a machete. Well, and the crazy part is they're now on the beach, which means they must have fled from their property. Well, I mean, if you remember, though, the uh, Peter and Miriam, every day at, you know, 6 a.m., they woke up and then they'd go for a walk on the beach. Oh, so you're saying, like, it, it could have happened on the beach. It wasn't like they fled from their yeah, homes. Yeah, it, it could have been the same for these people where they were just like, every day they woke up and went for an early morning stroll on the beach and... Could have been somebody just waiting there for him. Who knows? I mean, that's a really nice gardener, though, because he could have just shown up and, like, watered the plants and did the lawn and just been like, oh, like, he went looking. Yeah. Police believe the attack happened only shortly before the bodies were found. Their house was locked and not disturbed. Police found their laptops and cell phones secure in their home. So not a robbery attempt, as far as we can tell. Just a murder for totally unknown reasons. A man was arrested, but was released due to lack of evidence. Like Hubertus and Brigitte, Richard, who was 73, and Grace Wheeler, who was 67, moved to Tobago in 1999. They owned a home about 15 minutes away by car in an area called Carnby. Unlike the other people I've talked about so far, Richard and Grace actually lived full-time in Tobago. And in fact, Richard was from the UK originally and was a partner in the Tobago law office called Lex Caribbean and was also a member of the Tobago Chamber of Commerce. Grace was from Tobago originally and worked as a real estate agent. So they're basically locals and they've been there for a long time. Okay. There's a lot of players in this story. There, I had to actually make a spreadsheet to keep everything straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> According to friends, the Wheelers had been planning to move because of all the murders, saying they lived in fear because their home was burgled seven times. Burglared? Burgled. Burglarized? <laughs> burgled. Burglars? <laughs> burgled? That's a word? Yeah, burgled. I've been burgled. <laughs> <laughs> Well, their house is either burglarized seven times or burgled. (laughs) I don't know. In any event, can you imagine if you lived somewhere and it was um, entered unlawfully seven times? (laughs) I swear burgled is a word. I've been burgled. (laughs) Um, Okay, but I want you and the listeners, to imagine if your house was broken into and stuff stolen seven times. Not you've moved seven times and each of your houses have been broken into, but your one house has been broken into seven times. No, I would move. I'd 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 probably move after the second time. I'd probably give it another try. Yeah. I'd uh yeah, I I, I don't know. I I would never feel safe ever in my life. Okay, burgled is a real word. Well, what? <laughs> of course it is. Okay. Burgled. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to grad school, you know. I didn't, clearly. We we learned words like burgled. <laughs> That's what she got her master's for, <laughs> burgled. Oh, my God. So, no, if my house has been burglarized seven times, no. How do you go to sleep at night? Uh, Yeah, however, however do you. Uh, So, Richard decided to arm himself with a machete, and he got two guard dogs also. Dennis Roberts, a neighbor of the Wheelers who lived just down the road, said, quote, He told me he was fed up with it and he was ready to fight it. He said he'd got his machete and he would be waiting with it. So, like, poor guy, he's 73. He should not be hunkering down with a machete ready to defend himself. Like, that's just... Yeah. He's not even retired. He's still working. He's still an attorney, at the, a partner at this law firm. But... Anybody who has a 73-year-old 
dad or grandpa like just imagine them like going and getting a machete and being like i'm ready to fight these like no (laughs) he needs to be relaxing not not fighting people with machetes yeah so on october 25th 2015 just about 11 months after hubertus and brigade's bodies were found the Wheeler's gardener finds Grace Wheeler with her throat cut on her own front lawn. When police arrive, they find the house ransacked and Richard Wheeler lying face down in a pool of blood with chop wounds to his arms and the back of his head. Mm-mm, like, she's in her front lawn? Yeah. Gosh. Investigators found that the alarm system in the house didn't go off. And the dogs had not made any noise. The alarm system didn't go off and the dogs didn't do anything? Unless you got dogs like we got that we thought would be protective dogs and are now just little muffy boys. Um, (laughs) Super suspicious that the alarm didn't go off and the dogs didn't alert or do anything. Well, here's the thing, though. The I thought so, too, at first. But the alarm didn't go off. But Grace was outside and Richard was inside. So... Probably she went outside to go do something. You're not going to turn the alarm off when you just run outside for a second. That's true. So if she went out to go... Or go get the mail. I don't know what time of day it was, but... Yeah, it was the evening. But yeah, I'm sure she just ran outside basically the wrong moment. And then they accosted her. And then once they took her out, they could get in the house because the door is unlocked you don't lock your door when you go to get something out of the car and so then you know richard's in the house totally unaware of what's going on and they just probably ran in there and got right to him yeah so two construction workers age 23 and 29 and a woman were arrested after trying to use the wheeler's bank cards Their faces were actually recorded on the ATM's camera, and police went and scooped up all three suspects right away. The woman ended up being released, but as far as I'm aware, the men were charged with the murders. Kenneth Ralto, a neighbor of the Wheelers, said, quote, If justice can't do her job, people here will start doing it for her. There is bloodshed in our country every day. There have been more murders than days of the year. Our police are incompetent. God knows how many killers we have roaming free who will never face justice. People on the island are frustrated with the justice system, saying few suspects are ever arrested, and often it takes years before the suspects are actually brought before the courts, which are already busy with a huge backlog of cases. Apparently, many suspects go free after inadequate police investigations, which don't produce enough evidence to convict anyone. Trinidad and Tobago actually has one of the highest murder rates in the world. Yeah. They rank somewhere between 6th and 12th in the world, depending on which list you are looking at, generally landing squarely between Brazil and South Africa, just to give you, uh, you know, comparable countries. Sadly, Trinidad and Tobago's murder rates are steadily increasing every year, and there were 403 murders in 2014, 420 in 2015, 462 in 2016, 495 in 2017, and 517 in 2018. It's interesting that they sit next to Brazil and South Africa, because when you look at the size of those countries compared to Trinidad and Tobago. Uh-huh. I mean, Brazil's big. South Africa's a yeah. pretty decent size. Yeah, and very large. I mean, I don't yeah. know the, the numbers on Trinidad and Tobago, but... Well, and that's, that's basically the point is that, you know, because well, let's say the most recent 517 murders in 2018, that is for a population that is smaller than 1.4 million, whereas... The population of Brazil and the size of Brazil and South Africa is much larger. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to scale up, you know, per 100,000, like that's what we're talking about when we look at murder rates is how many people per 100,000 are murdered or per 1 million. 
And um, for Trinidad and Tobago, it's like 30.88, something like that per 100,000. So if you were to scale it up to the size of Brazil or to the size of South Africa, it would be much larger than 517 people. Right, yeah. Anyway, so in 2015, there were more than 1,000 people charged with murder who were awaiting trial in the country. So there's a bunch of people who are charged with murders, but they're actually not getting to the actual point of their court date. And then when they do get to their court date, a lot of times the police don't have enough evidence to actually convict them with anything. So when speaking about all these murders that I've gone over so far, uh, former Tobago police chief and current professor of criminology, Ramesh Diosaran, said, quote, it seems to point to a serial killer. He believes the social status of the victims and the methodologies used to murder them had similarities. He thought they should look at all the cases since 2008 together and also allow outside help from foreign governments. Prime Minister Keith Rowley said he was, quote, concerned that there is some person who needs to be found at all costs and suggests that government agencies should offer assistance in building a profile to help identify and extricate whoever is tarnishing Tobago's name and image. So... Wait, what do you think about this? Do you feel like there's a serial killer in Trinidad and Tobago? Or in Tobago specifically? Um, so part of me says the method that all these people are being killed with would say yes, but also I know this mm-hmm. in a lot of Caribbean countries. Machetes are used yeah. often and I think we've seen that in yeah. Southeast Asia as well. So I can't say that mm-hmm. the weapon would be a connecting factor in all of them. Um them all being expats who are well considered upper middle class wealthy in these communities, especially amongst locals. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like a lot of people could just have them out for those. You know, they could just be a lot of someone could find this group of people opportunistic regardless. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel like several people could find this, like I said, this group opportunistic to go after. They're also violent though. You know, yeah. it's, it's not They're like you're so breaking into violent. someone's house and just like beating them up or tying them up and robbing yeah. them or the violent nature, I would say, would be the connecting factor. Not so much yeah. the group and not so much the weapon. That's my non um, <laughs> criminologist. Yeah, that is a Phoebe. non-professional. Yeah, yeah my non-professional opinion from watching Dateline. <laughs> Dateline Australia. <laughs> Keith Morrison, thank you for my education. Yeah. Um, I think just the fact that Peter Tott, the German engineer guy, who was the, the one single in this whole case of couples, those guys were found living in his house. So I feel like we can throw that one out. And like, by the way, I mentioned all of these cases together because this is what this is what the media has put together. They've put these five cases together. And said, oh my god, there's a serial killer. So, I feel like Peter Tot's case should just be thrown out. Because they they found the guys living in his house. And as far as I'm aware, these people who were living in his house may have been charged with murder. But they might not actually have had their trial yet. Or they might have released from, like, lack of evidence. But... I would say based on everything you said about their court system, I'm going to say they probably aren't sitting in jail. Yeah. So, like, that was a hard thing about this whole, like, researching this whole situation was that, as far as I can tell, nobody is sitting in jail right now for any of these cases. So, that's distressing and alarming. But, um, you know, I I feel like Peter Tot's case was totally separate. He, you know, he had an ex-wife of a friend threatening him, which made him leave Trinidad or Tobago, and then he comes back, and then this happens to him. So I kind of feel like he had some kind of personal ties that might have led to the situation. Um, or it could have just been that he was selling his house, and these people got a great idea of, like, hey, we'll just pretend he sold his house to us and live in it. Well, my other thought was that maybe they were squatting in the house, yeah. and he came back. And it caught him off guard. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if you if somebody else murdered him, and they were just like, "Oh, this house is empty." <laughs> and then the cops show up, and they're like, "Wait, what?" Oh, but they said he went back to Germany, so they would have had to talk to him. 
Unless the neighbors. Well, that's what I mean. Like, imagine if they kind of had like an idea about who he was in the neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, he went back to Germany. They squat in his house. Like, they take over his house. Yeah. And then he shows up, maybe unexpected. And they're like, oh, now we kill you. Oh, yeah. Things go wrong and they kill him. And they're like, well, we'll just tell him they went back to Germany and he sells the house. Yeah. So if you take take Peter Tot's case out, then you're left with four cases. Uh, And I feel like the the Wheelers lived there permanently and lived in a more local residential area, Carnby, while the others had the vacation homes and expat areas that were right on the beach. Carnby is, like, not on the beach at all. It's just, like, a place where regular people live, basically. Um, You know, regular people who are lawyers in Tobago. So not the super regular people, but not people who are just on a permanent vacation, basically. Yeah. Also, like the guys sitting around at Peter's house, in the Wheeler's case, the perpetrators were dumb enough to go to an ATM that had a camera. So I feel like they're not, you know, stealthy serial killers who are killing for more than a few years and getting away with it. So for me, I would take out the Wheeler's case also. So then you're left with three cases and the Swedes, who were the first case back in 2008, Their house was robbed, while the other two homes weren't. They also lived in Bon Accord, which, though I said it was eight miles away from Bacolet Crescent, realistically, eight miles on an island that is only 25 miles long is actually pretty far away. Mm -hmm. So, in my mind, then, you're left with two cases, which occurred about five years apart, that were in the same Bacolet Crescent area wherein neither home was robbed and you had two sets of victims that were older, retired, vacationing foreigners. And I feel like those two could have been perpetrated by the same person or group of people. But at the end of the day, with five years between them, it seems just as likely that they could happen with different attackers. People who maybe were just angry at expats for having more money than them and living in nicer houses on the beach. And in the research that I was doing, there were people who were saying that in these expat neighborhoods that were, you know, right on the beach, whatever, that they would have local people coming in who were fishing for crab or taking coconuts from the trees to sell And the expats would tell them to get out of there as if it was their property. (laughs) And the Tobagonians would tell them, I'm going to shoot you or I'm going to kill you because they're trying to hunt for some crabs and some coconuts to sell to make a living. Mm -hmm. And like, I can kind of, you know, like I can see where like, you don't have to be a dick. If you have a bunch of money and you have like, uh, you know, your vacation home, whatever, please also realize that you're living in a place (laughs) that's not yours. You're a temporary, sometimes visitor throughout the year. Um, and those people actually live there and they're just trying to get by and live. Yeah. So I would not be surprised after reading that, that there were people who are coming in there trying to like get stuff to make a living from the natural parts of the land. It's not like anybody who is, you know, buying a house in Bacolet Crescent. They're not like farming coconut trees. <laughs> you know, they're not like. Yeah, they're not working. Yeah. But you did say the one couple from. Mm-hmm. The UK. Uh-huh. The Greens. Yeah, Peter and Miriam. You did say they were very kind to the locals and often hung out with them. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean. You know, some random guy walking down the street probably had no idea that they, you know, gave money and clothes to the schools and whatever. And as far as they knew, Peter and Miriam were just the same as everybody else who was yelling at them yesterday not to come in and try to fish the crabs. You know, and I'm not saying any mm-hmm. part of that is okay or correct or that anybody <laughs> should ever murder anybody for any reason. Mm-hmm. Richard and Grace Wheeler, they lived there every day. Grace was from there. Grace is a local and they still got murdered. So 
you know, you can kind of do whatever you want, but maybe it's more of a anger and bias just against people who have money in general, no matter what you do, you know, no matter where you're from. Right. Maybe people I mean, didn't like him for what cases he was defending or whatever. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, this whole, all these cases, these five cases, like I said, these are the ones that the media like seized on of, oh my God, is there a serial killer because these foreigners being murdered, whatever. At the same time, if you like, if you just Google Tobago murder or Tobago crime, you will see so many things like you would not believe there's two british women who were sexually assaulted on their way home from some you know local bar in tobago uh there was at the time that richard and grace wheeler were murdered somebody from the british foreign office was already on their way to tobago because another british citizen had been murdered on the island you know just before that so there's just an awful lot of <laughs> murders and crime going on anyway. And it's basically like, I, I, I for sure 100% don't feel like there was a serial killer. And I, I, I kind of almost feel like the, um, the thought of saying, Oh, it's a serial killer is like, Oh, we, if we can, if we can make it that it's one person and then we can say, Oh, we got him then we can make it, like, it's safe then. Like, it's safe for tourists, it's safe for expats to move here because we got the serial killer. Instead of saying what's true is just that they have, like, a runaway crime problem. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, this is not at all to say that Trinidad and Tobago are any worse than anywhere else. Like we said in the beginning... I think of the last episode, I think they have a lot of problems, but it's a really great place and people should 100% still go there. Mm -hmm. But everyone's got their problems. That's all. That's all I know. And that's all I have to say about the non-serial killer, the serial killer that I do not believe exists in Tobago. Well, that was a roller coaster of a journey. That's for sure. Yeah. We have we have covered a lot of ground in this episode. We sure have. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to like I don't even know how to close the top on the suitcase of this episode <laughs> because it's just like If you're a general expat somewhere and kind of semi-retired, tell us what your experience is. And um especially if it's great, then you can tell us where we should we should retire to. I'll take it. Until there's a serial killer. <laughs> And then I won't. I'll do a story on it. <laughs> you know. Anyway, email us at earlydepartrepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at earlydepartrespodcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to give us a subscribe, a like, a review. Yeah. Reach out. Let us know. Um, because whenever we do get emails from people, it is freaking exciting. <laughs> so. I feel like Ashley's probably had way more drinks than I've been counting <laughs> through this episode. Well, what we say in my house is bedtime for bonzos. So it's I'm bonzo and it's time for bed. <laughs> is that what you really say? We do. Uh, yeah. It's, it's something that my parents said and now it's something that I say to my dog. <laughs> And does that mean like you're cut? Like, is it like, oh, you're getting out of hand, you need to go to bed, or just like, no, bedtime? No, it just means bedtime. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We'll be back next Monday, bright and early. And until then, be safe and depart on time. <laughs>